you have a Bible with you, and I don't want you to turn to Acts chapter 19 again. Our subject is, in verse 2 of chapter 19, have you received the Holy Spirit? And while most all Christians will say, of course, or yes, or I think so, there is a way to know. There is a reason you should know, because there is something that comes from this that most charismatics don't know, apparently don't. I'm amazed today at how many people that are confessing they've been filled with the Spirit and all of that rarely ever flow or function in the Spirit. I just prayed before I came out here that we here, in this church here, we need an outpouring, a true Holy Spirit movement where you're never left alone spiritually. At all times in your daily life, you're aware of the Spirit's moving in your life. You bring that to church, things flow. Because if we're not careful, we can have had an experience in our past. Now that we're all in the same little group, you've done that, I've done, yeah, you've done it. we've all done something. But 20 years later, 10 to 5 years later, we've done very little with it, or very little has happened because of it. That's not the way it was in the New Testament. It was such a deal in the New Testament that in Acts 19, this was many years after Pentecost, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, it says, of Ephesus, finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, in essence, we don't really know what you're talking about. He explained that to them. And then he's down, he baptized them in water. And then down later on in verse 9, it says, He laid his hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke in tongues. And that seems to have been a problem through the modern era of the church, which I've been in. The only time I've been on this earth is in the hour we're in, of course. And years ago, when I first came to the Lord and was filled with the Spirit, I spoke in tongues. And I have ever since, I do every day. I attribute what I have to the working of of the Lord, which involves praying in the Spirit and letting the Spirit have his flow and freedom in your life to teach, to share, and to lead. Because Jesus said he would do all of those things when he came. When he came, and in the beginning, this was such a new, let's call a phenomenon to the town I grew up in, that when somebody actually spoke in tongues, not in one of those Pentecostal churches down on the side street somewhere, that people were sort of alarmed. In the Christian church I grew up in, what in the world is going on? We don't do that. And they didn't. And they, they didn't promote that. I mean, why is that going on here? How did that happen here? Even my mother wondered, where have you been? What's going on with you? The preacher, when he came back from vacation, he had this to deal with. Some of his people were speaking in tongues. And the picture that you have painted is that when you have the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and you know you did because you spoke in tongues, that you go around, you know, with your hands waving and you slobber all the time and you see somebody, you're talking in another language all the time. You don't communicate anymore. You're sort of weird and strange and you've lost your mind. But I have found that though that picture has been painted to keep people from living a charismatic type life, 
the fact of the matter is that when the Holy Spirit comes, his work is inward more than it is outward. That is more he does things in here that will come out here. But a lot of people have asked a question down through the years. Well, what's the purpose of tongues? I mean, why tongues? Well, I know this, that it was God's idea to do it. Man had nothing to do with it because it had never happened before. And when it did happen on the day of Pentecost, it happened without any instruction. There was a prophecy in the book of Joel that something was going to happen, something that you not only would hear, but as Peter said, you can hear and see. And they didn't know what it was, but on the day of Pentecost, after it happened, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, this is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet. This is the outpouring of God in the last days. Things are going to happen. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and and so forth. And uh, it is a time of supernatural revelation amongst people, not just the occasional prophet coming through town, prophesying or giving some prediction, but something active in the church, the Holy Spirit in common ordinary people like us, moving amongst us and doing things. And at the center of it all, the biggest problem the world has is tongues, speaking in other tongues. Now, as I said last week in, in closing, that this is how you get this experience. This is how it happens. First of all, you have to ask for it. You won't ask for it unless you believe it's for you or unless you're just a very sophisticated asker. Yes, I asked for that too. Thank you, Lord. I received that in Jesus' name. That's the way we've been instructed. And there's not much heart in that and not much expectancy. Nothing happens. But when you've been taught, you've been informed, and you see that this is offered, that God to a believer has offered to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, things that are mostly words and not reality to most Christians. But it's going to happen. Something unusual, something significant, something out of the ordinary, something different. A way that God is going to deal with people and communicate with people in the age of the church. He's doing that today. Most have rejected it because they don't believe that is for today. Or if it is for today, they would have it. They say, because I'm a Christian and I've asked for it, and I guess if he wanted me to have it, he'd give it to me. The first thing you have to do is believe. The second thing you have to do is act. And the third thing you have to do is respond. Because the Holy Spirit does not do anybody's talking for them. The Holy Spirit did not come with his voice using your vocal cords, speaking as he wishes not his words. They're your vocal cords. It's your will. It's we who must be willing and responsive to the urgings of the Spirit. And I have found this out, that when that time comes that God wants to baptize you, that's the language the Bible uses, baptize or fill you with his Spirit, this will happen. There will come that moment, if you're sincere and you've been taught, there will be this urge to speak. And you know it's not English, and it's such a strong experience usually that you just speak whatever comes out of your mouth. 
And you don't understand it because it's not a language of yours. It's a language given to you by the Spirit, which you willingly speak. And it's a way that God has chosen to do things in the last day, a universal way to me, to show that this is what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. It happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. The place was filled, you know, the tongues of fire and all of that, and they spoke with tongues. It had never happened before. This was an entirely new experience that nobody understood. And when they spoke in tongues, that particular time, they were speaking in, in the dialect that others could understand. The speakers didn't know what they were saying, but those that had come to Jerusalem, the certain ones in their dialect, they could understand what they were saying. And they perceived that the men speaking didn't know what they were saying, but the ones that were hearing them were hearing them clearly what they were saying. And what the, the message the Lord was giving to all of those on the day of Pentecost was so convicting when everybody stopped and Peter began to speak and he shared with them what was going on, they said, what shall we do? And he said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Supernaturally, through common, ordinary people who were willing to be used of God to send a message to people that way. And they did. They spoke in tongues. That's how they knew and then in Acts chapter 19 here, he laid hands on them, and they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, at the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, they, you know, through a vision, very exciting how Peter even got over there, because Jews didn't go to the homes of Gentiles and fellowship, but Peter did. He didn't want to, but he did. And when he did go there, the Holy Spirit was poured out on that house, and the Jews that came with Peter knew that the Spirit had been poured out because they heard him speak with tongues and magnify God. It upset the Jews back in Jerusalem. And they said, Peter, what's going on? We want you to give us a record of this. And he went back and told them what happened. And they said, well, God has accepted the Gentiles also. It's a new age, a new time that we're in. And so it all happened because of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the evidence that you have been filled with the Spirit is that there will be a language given to you, an utterance given to you by the Lord that you will willingly speak. But there's a purpose for that. There's a reason for that. Not just for you to know that you have received a legitimate gift from God. You've had a legitimate New Testament experience that is identified by the Scripture. But also there was a reason for this outpouring or for this coming forth of the Spirit of God in your life. If you ask the average, now I say charismatic. Charismatic, uh, the word charisma is uh, uh, one of the words for gifts, a word similar to that. In 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of nine spiritual gifts. There were gifts of power. These are gifts that did something. They were gifts of healings, and they were gifts of working of miracles, and there was a special faith that God would give a man in order to receive a miracle, not work one, but receive one, like walking on water. There were gifts that, that revealed something, the supernatural revelation or revelatory gifts that God gave his people. One of those was the discerning of spirits. Today, that's called suspicion. But uh, the gift of discerning of spirits was a supernatural enabling of a person, a human being, to see into the spirit realm. 
to see what was behind the operation in somebody's life and how important that could have been many times in our lives if we had been spiritual enough for that to happen because you don't really know who, what you're praying for when you're coming forth and who you're praying for, what their problem really is. Sometimes it's a spirit, sometimes it didn't. But it's enabling to see in the spirit realm whether demons or angels. And sometimes I know kids have had visions and revelations of angels, and it was inspiring to, to know that not only does God say they are present where two or more are gathered, but when your eyes are actually open to see them, you know, you know that in the Old Testament that remember the prophet Gehazi came to Elisha and he said, uh, what are we going to do? Because he saw an army coming against them, the Syrian army. And the old prophet just said, oh, Lord, open his eyes. Remember that? And he went outside and he looked and there surrounding them all was a host of angels. The encampment of the Lord around about. Well, that took away all their fear. You know, like the song we sang in Psalm 3, you know, the, uh, I, I shall not be afraid of 10,000s of people. And this gift is, is a kind of gift that when it does operate, and you see things like that, you're delivered from any kind of fear because greater is he that is with you. Far greater. He would need only one angel, but he's got a bunch of them out there. I remember a story one time, a man was going to beat another man up, and he hid in the bushes until he got off work. When he came out in the parking lot, the man took off running. And later on, when that man got saved, he said to the man that he was going to beat up, who were those guys with you? And he said, what guys? He said, that night you came out of the two big guys that were on each side of you. Big, boy, they were rough looking. There was nobody with him, but this guy saw into the realm of the spirit. He saw two angels and he ran from, them. I don't blame him. That was smart. <laughs> so you see their gifts that reveal things like the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a supernatural word from God concerning the future. What will come next? Sometimes prophesying and the gift of prophecy, uh, words that, that's a gift that says something. Sometimes when people are prophesying, they will give a word of wisdom. And thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not go here, thou shalt go there. Well, that's a word of wisdom. That's something you should do. I have told thee in the past, that's a word of knowledge. It's not for tomorrow. That's something that's already happened, already been said. You're being reminded of a word of knowledge. Oh, the Lord showed me that you have a problem. Well, you've had the problem. And then he might say, the Lord says, this is what you should do. And so that'd be a word of wisdom. Don't you see how if these things did function in the church, how excited church would be? That I don't know of anybody's problem that wouldn't get dealt with. I mean, just think if you had a need tonight and the Lord identified the reason you're not getting your need met is because. It might be embarrassing. You've been lagging back. You haven't been serving the Lord. You've lost your joy. You've quit trying. You're not giving. There's a lot of ways he could say things that really identified your problem. That'd be a word of knowledge showing you your problem. This is why you've got a problem. And now thus saith the Lord, if you would, and then he gives you what you should do to be delivered from it. Then you wouldn't have the problem anymore. Wouldn't it be good if the church flowed together like that? All we do now is wonder. Well, why? I wonder why this didn't, why that didn't. I can tell you this tonight standing here. There is as great a need now in this hour for the moving of the Spirit that way 
than probably any time that I have been alive on this earth. Because there is a darkness coming in this world. And I'll tell you, Christians, I don't think really have a clue as to what they should do or how they should do it, or specifically what God wants to do. But God has given gifts to the church. Now, they may not flow publicly in everybody's life, but they do function. They do. God shows some people things to do, and he blesses the way they live, and he blesses what they do in their response to God. And we wonder, how can they be so blessed? I mean, he's no different or she's no different than I am. Well, it could be because of obedience to the urgings of the Spirit. It could be as simple as that. And the reason things don't work well may be the fact that you're not responding to the Spirit. God knows I don't know. If he showed me that tonight and I had to tell you that, how popular would I be? But he could. I mean, what if we had a healing line tonight or a line, everybody came forward. The first person you came to, you said, the Lord shows me to get your house in order, you're going to die. Well, that's not only a difficult word, but that's when everybody goes to sits down. <laughs> I don't want to get prophesied to tonight. I think I'll wait until some other time. Would God be wrong if he did that? Of course not. But there are power gifts, gifts of healings, miracles, a gift of faith. There's a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. These are gifts that reveal things. And then there's vocal gifts, what we're talking about tonight. Those vocal gifts that God gives to us is prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues. Those are all found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Tonight we're talking about the evidence, I believe it's the evidence, I will until it's over, the evidence of having received the Holy Spirit means you'll speak in tongues. Our question tonight is why? Is there something about tongues that I need to see as to what the meaning of that is, how that affects my life? Is it supposed to affect my life? Or is it just an experience I had once And now I can say I've had this experience and that's more or less the end of its usefulness or having received the Holy Spirit and having uttered words in the Spirit, as the King James Bible says, an unknown tongue, is that the end of it? Or is it to continue on? Like, for example, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said in verse 18, of 1 Corinthians 14. He said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. And I know that the church at Corinth was what we would call a spirit-filled or a charismatic church because in the church were all the gifts. It starts out by talking about you come behind and no gift. You got prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. You have all the particular nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. There are other gifts mentioned in Romans 12. There's like 25 different expressions or gifts of the Spirit. These are the most significant in in 1 Corinthians 12. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 18, devoted to the subject of, of tongues speaking, Paul said, I thank my God, I do. I thank God for this, that I do speak in tongues more than all of you do. Now, I don't think he's boasting as a being superior to anybody. I think he is simply saying what God gave me has great meaning to me because it benefits me and it benefits the church. There is a reason that all of this is happening. 
First Corinthians 12, you go back a, a couple chapters, First Corinthians 12, and look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The word profit with all means it has an advantage. There's a usefulness here. And to all of us, the one particular, to me at least, the one particular manifestation of the Spirit we've all had is tongues, if you've had that experience. It is given to you to profit with all. There's an advantage. There is a usefulness. to. There's a reason that people speak with tongues. There's a reason Paul said, I do it more than anybody. He must have prayed in tongues a lot. And I don't think anybody would accuse him of being weird or, or strange. But there was something in 1 Corinthians 14, again, like in verse 12. He says, even so you, for as much as you're zealous of spiritual gifts, see that you excel in the edifying of the church. The one thing he points out in 1 Corinthians 14. It's important for you to be edified personally. He starts a chapter out like that. You need to be edified. There's not a soul in this room that does not need to be edified. Not once, but continually be built up. The Bible says we are needy people. It even goes far as to say that we're poor in spirit because every day we need more of what the spirit gives. We never get so much of it that we don't need it anymore. Okay? The spirit doesn't come upon us or flow in us so that that lasts forever, the effect of that. It does a work in there. Living water is bubbling up and flowing out. It's not something that just trickles out once in a while. It's something that continuously goes on. And this is one of the things the Spirit of God does. And it begins, of course, as I said, with this praying in, in tongues. But the important thing is that what happens here edifies the church. In verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 14, he said, I would that all of you spoke with tongues. Isn't that nice? I could say that to you here tonight. I wish every one of you did. Not just once to say I've, I've done it, but you did it every day, all the time, as often as you're inspired or think of it. Think of something to pray about. I wish you would. He said, I would that all of you spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh in tongues, unless... What he said in tongues is interpreted, and for this reason, that the church may receive edification. I would suggest to this, that God wants to edify all of us corporately. He wants us to come together to be built up. The information that he gives, we call it teaching. When God gives information, it is for direction. It is for enlightenment, to see things we've never seen, to see it clearer than we've ever seen it before, or to know what to do or how to do it that he shows us. When we are inspired by the Holy Spirit in a meeting, I think the purpose of God is to edify and build up his church. Didn't he say in Ephesians 4, Till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's why he put five ministry gifts in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Supernatural anointing. The, the gifts here are men. The gifts of the Spirit are gifts that flow through men. 
But ministry gifts are men who are gifts. And he put these gifts in the church for a reason. And as they flow and as they function and as they are anointed and, and they do what they are called to do, the effect should be that the whole church is built up and edified. The focus of everything about us should be Jesus Christ. Not our building, not our plans, not our great effort at the revival campaign last month, not our missionary journeys. The whole focus of the church is Jesus Christ. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All the anointing, I believe, that God gives to man is to promote that until we become Christ-centered people. A Christian is one Christ-like in his life. That's what it should all be about. If we were just a nominal church, a church on the corner doing the religious things that our fathers and our, their fathers did, our ancestors did, we go, we sit, we listen, we memorize songs, and then we go home. And there's very little of anything flowing out of anybody. Even in full gospel churches, that's being true today. I've been in some, I won't mention the denomination, but I've been in many. I've been in every one of them. I've held seminars in Catholic churches and Episcopal churches, spoken Lutheran church, Church of Christ. That in itself is supernatural, I think. Having been in all these places in times past when my hair was brown, uh, I learned a whole lot about people because during all those travels and during all those times, I also spoke in a lot of full gospel churches who were about as dry as a dry creek bed. I mean, they had the knowledge of what the Bible said, but there was nothing flowing. It was just an arid spiritual life full of questions and no answer. Hard to teach. Very difficult to teach because when you gave them a verse of scripture as a blessing, they put a question mark at the end of it. Well, if that's true, then why doesn't it work for us? Why indeed? Probably because you're dead. Probably because you've given up hope. You've quit trying. You've laid down. You've quit moving in the spirit yourself. That happens to anybody. And sometimes we have to stir ourselves up. Doesn't the Bible tell us to stir ourselves up? Stir up the gift. Didn't I say that too? Stir up the gift that is within you? You won't do that unless you see that as a need in your life. I mean, that just becomes a thing that we need to do. It's for us. So what about, what about the tongues thing? People accuse us of talking in tongues. Okay, I admit I do. I hope you do too. I pray that you do. I pray every day in the Spirit. I have a reason every day to pray in the Spirit or as we call it, praying in tongues. I have a reason every day to do that. There's something comes up all the time that needs prayer. I don't always know how to pray for it, but I can, and I can pray for it exactly in the will of God every single time, every day. How can you do that? You can do that by praying in tongues. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, number one, our first reason the why of tongues, what is the purpose of it in your life personally is for divine communication between you and God in the Spirit. Notice 1 Corinthians 14 
and verse 2. Now, let me say this too. Uh, See, I assume everybody knows all this. But there is a difference between the gift of tongues and praying in tongues. In Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You receive him. He comes in. You know when he comes in because he comes in with that language thing, that tongues part, that uttering is because he's first in Isaiah 28 says, for with stammering lips, he said that in chapter 14, he said with stammering lips and another tongue, will he speak to this people? That's the way he did it. That was God's idea. That's the way he did it. And so there is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit evidenced by tongues. Now, that is a gift. And then there is a ministry in which tongues minister to other people. Like the gift of tongues that needs to be interpreted that the church might be edified. It's me talking to you in the Spirit. If I begin to speak in tongues publicly, standing here tonight, begin to do that, you wouldn't benefit from any of it. Like Paul said, what good would that do you if you just heard me speak in tongues? Unless it was interpreted. Another gift comes into operation. That God gives somebody the interpretation of what somebody else said. We say, well, why would God do that? Well, ask him. God does as he pleases in the kingdom of men. And a whole lot of what he does eliminates a whole lot of intellectually sophisticated so-called people. Well, I don't, that don't make sense. Man. I don't and so they're out. It's ordinary people like us that just, well, that's what we'll do. But the gift is for the church, the gift of tongues. And it is beneficial when it's spoken, then it's interpreted. And when it's interpreted, it's the same as prophecy, like prophesying. But in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, we're not talking about a gift here. We're not talking about something that even needs to be interpreted. Listen at it. For he that speaketh in a tongue, unknown tongue, speaketh not unto men. Now stop. If he is not speaking to men, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to God. It's not in a church setting. It's not something that has to be interpreted. Listen to it. For he that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands him. Howbeit, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, the word mystery, as I've understood it, is something that is hidden and that by natural knowledge or seeking natural knowledge, you could not understand it. It is something between a man and God that comes from God. You may not know what it is. Now, somebody said, well, what good is speaking in tongues if you don't know what you're talking about? And you, sometimes you have to say, I'm not talking to myself. I don't have a clue what I'm saying. But I have to believe. I have to believe that what I am, to use the world's words, I have to believe that what I'm jabbering, I have to believe that it's inspired of God and that I am praying exactly according to God's will. I can't make it work like that. I have to believe that. It takes faith to do it. 
And the reason most people, I suspect, do not pray in tongues today is because they don't know what they're saying. They don't believe it's working, so they quit. I mean, it's not even amusing anymore. It's not, it's just, uh, I don't know what it's about. And so it doesn't make sense to them, so they kind of gave up on it. And if somebody spoke in tongues, they'd say, what in the world is that? Well, that is probably a gift. When somebody speaks out and it's to be interpreted. If there's no interpreter present, 1 Corinthians 14 says, don't do it. So obviously it was known who was an interpreter. Not everybody was. There were those who were. But tongues as a gift is a word for the church or to somebody. But a prayer language, praying in the spirit, as we call it, is something else. For he said again, he that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Howbeit, he said in the last part of the verse, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. No man understands it. No man. It is not a known language. Years ago, there was a program on WFIA in Louisville. And the people on this particular program wanted to prove that tongue speaking was a fraud, that it was of the devil and so forth. What a horrible thing to say. And they said, you bring us a tape of one of your tongue's messages and we'll have the best linguist in the world listen to it to see if it's even a language. Of course, I'm sitting back thinking, he that sitteth in the heavens, no wonder he laughs at the foolishness of man. Man thinks that he, by his intellect, can decipher spiritual things. Yet the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2, said, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit. Why? For they're spiritually discerned. And he says he cannot know them. He can only fight it. He can only criticize it. He can only draw back and find fault with that. And more than finding fault with tongues speaking, he finds fault with those who speak in tongues. He attack the character of the person more than the gift. In a court of law, they call it the ad hominem argument. You know, you attack the character of a person more than the issue that you're dealing with. But that's just the way it is. And I think God allows people to prove that they're not serious with the Lord, to, to hear it and then not understand it. The human mind can't wrap itself around that. It doesn't make sense. How do you know what they're saying? Well, who said you're talking to yourself? I don't know what I'm saying. Now, you might say, well, you do that when you're preaching. Well, I, that's not true. I do most of the time know what I'm talking about. But when I'm praying in the Spirit, it's another realm. Even the Bible says, in the Spirit, he speaketh what? Mysteries. He speaketh mysteries. One translation says he speaks divine secrets. It's a communication between my spirit and God. And all I can do is believe that what's coming out of me is understood by God and approved of by God. Again, it's not a known language. It's not something you can find somebody talking like that on the earth. But he says he speaks not unto men. Men wouldn't understand him. He speaks to God. Even Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, he said, if I speak with the tongues of men or what? Angels. Now, what country in this world do you find angel? Where's angel land? Well, they, they speak. They have a language. I don't think you know what it is. I don't. <laughs> Sometimes the arguments, and I've heard them all, I think, in my years of 
really, I'm sorry to say, debating this subject with people, arguing and setting up for long hours discussing this. I've heard some really dumb statements. But you couldn't correct it because, again, a natural man cannot receive it. You're wasting your time. I told a friend of mine once who was trying to get in a guy's head about all of this, and I said, you know, leave him alone. You're wasting your time. And no, he was going to do it. He just dove in there, and that guy liked to wore him out. If they don't want to know about it, don't want to believe it, it's not for me to try to convince them. I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced. If somebody wants to fight that, you'll have to fight it with somebody else. But he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, that it's obviously not a gift for the church, but it's communication between you and God in tongues. He that speaketh, does it say that in your Bible? He that speaketh in a tongue speaks not to men. So it's not to be interpreted. This is something else. He that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Is there still such a thing as a prayer closet? Is the church in the prayer closet with you? No. Who's in there with you? You and the Lord. If the devil can get there, he'll get in there and listen. But when you pray in the spirit, no wonder the devil hates you doing this. How would the devil know what you're saying? He doesn't know what God is giving you to, to pray to him about. I'm sure he doesn't, and I think he would like nothing more than for you to quit praying in the spirit because he, he doesn't know how to attack your prayer, how to defeat you, what you just said. He hears us pray in English. He knows what we're praying for. He knows what's near and dear to us. He knows how desperate we are, and so he, he puts on the heat. You're praying in the spirit. I don't think he knows what you're praying. God does. That's why sometimes you're praying in the spirit. You're more distracted than usual. Reading a man like Bevington in Remarkable Miracles, his book, he said sometimes when he really got down to prayer, he had, it took him an hour or two to get still because his brain is racing with all the activity of the day and, and the conversations you have and the things you're thinking about and doing and, and seeing and going and tomorrow and next week and all of that. He said it takes a long time for your brain to get quiet, just to quiet down. And then, he said, then you can begin your communication with God. Problem is, if that's true, we don't give that much time to spiritual matters. We're not desperate for that type of thing yet. We're living, we're getting by, we're existing. It may not be flowing like it should, but hey, we're better than we were. And consequently, the, the spark is not in the church like it should be. The enthusiasm. I still remember, and I know some of you know too, there was a time you couldn't wait to go to church. It, it was a joy of the Lord. It was just something about expectation. You're going to see each other again, and you don't know what's going to happen tonight. Man, you know God's going to speak to us, and we're, we might have a chance to do this or that. I remember that, and I also have watched as the days have gone by, the years have gone by. Our kids came along. We grew up, we got more entrenched in our job, in our work, in our problems, our situations, and we gave way to that need to get alone and press in and divinely communicate with God in the Spirit. A second reason that you want to do this in same 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is in verse 4. He that speaketh in a tongue does what? He edifies 
himself. He that prophesies edifies the church. Praise God for that. But we're talking about tongues, so let's go back and see what he said. He that speaketh in a tongue edifies himself. That word edify literally means to build up, to build yourself up. How then do you build yourself up? By praying in tongues. Now, I guarantee you, your mind, your natural mind, which is being renewed in the process, hopefully, it challenges that. Well, how in the world can praying in this gibberish, praying those syllables and those funny-sounding phrases, how does that build me up? tell you again, you have to believe that what God has said, God does that way. Because it's when you quit believing that that works like that, that you quit doing that, and you're not getting built up. And you begin to settle back into that dusty, dry time. You're existing. You remember yesterday. You hope that you're doing all right and getting by, and you go to church, and you don't expect anything to happen, and nothing happens. Yeah, I've been filled with spirit. I did all at once. But something's left out through the years. This activity, this stirring, this moving of the spirit in your life and in your heart has given way to other things, and it can happen. How many of you know you can get occupied with the things of this world? And the things of this world really can choke the word. It really can. And you can come to a place where you question, well, why would God do that? Well, why wouldn't he do this? I mean, building up yourselves. How did he say that there in verse 12? He said, he that speaks in a tongue edifies himself. How? He didn't tell you how. He didn't define edifying specifically how it happens. You have to believe that as you do, he does. Tell me why some people are always above and not beneath. Some people are always ahead and not behind. Tell me why. Tell me why there are those who always have the joy of the Lord and they're never negative or seldom negative. Tell me why it is that within the church there are some of those unique souls that always seem to be above and not beneath. Could it have anything to do with the fact that they're edified, spiritually lifted up? If all of us in this room were lifted up daily and and being built up by the Spirit, would you be different than you are tonight? Now, if you said, yeah, or if you nodded your head, if that little man on the inside nodded his head, yes, then, then we've got work to do. You just convicted yourself because there is something more than what we got. There is something more than the way we're seeing it and experiencing it. It's not an aging moment. It has nothing to do with that. But I have noticed in the last few years It's more and more time that it's difficult to teach, difficult to make a point, difficult for the words as you have learned them and practiced them and, and just, yes, and they just sort of struggle to get out. Now, why is that? Well, you're getting older. That's not it. My brain isn't old yet. 
Amen. But God can renew our youth like the eagle so that when a time comes for you to function, you can do whatever it is he's called you to do whenever he's called you to do it and whatever time in your life you're doing it. God can do that. Of course you can't run a mile in four minutes anymore. Maybe 4.15 I can run a mile now. But, but, right. But of course things are slow. Yes, 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 yes. But spiritually... I want more myself. I want more than I'm getting and more than I've got. Amen. But I don't want to come in here and, and somebody think, what is wrong with the soul? He's all excited. Look at him. He's, he said, what's wrong with Brother Tom? Bless his heart. Maybe it's just when... When God starts building us up, when we start coming every day of our life, it's like we're lifted a little higher and there's a little bit more in there than we have known before and we're a little more excited and a little more confident, a little more sure than we have been in the past, that we're a little more interested and interesting than we have been that we are beginning to be more of a solution to a, a thing than we are a, a part of the problem. Could it be that God's building up his people causes us to be like that? Of course, I'll answer for you. Of course. God didn't make us to be spirit-filled people that just go to church and go home. Something's supposed to happen here. Something is supposed to transpire when we get here. I don't mean we have to throw our Bibles in the air and take off running. But something good, something refreshing. But the times of refreshing was not a one-time thing. It's a continuous thing. A cleansing is a continuous thing. Flowing of living waters is a continuous thing. It's a spirit-filled life. And when you have it, it's exciting. You face the devil every day. But you've got a weapon now that he can't handle this. He wants you to put it down and leave it alone. But when you won't leave it alone and, and you release the spirit and his work in your life, he has to flee. He has to flee because I think the devil would love to have you some dull soul without much interest in spiritual matters. But I'd like to think that everybody in this room, if you're spirit-filled, coming to a meeting like this was preceded by a time of prayer. God, bless us tonight with the moving of your spirit. Open hearts up to receive what you're saying, what you have for us tonight. Give grace to all of us as hearers. May your words gain entrance into our heart. May a picture be painted so that we can see what you're saying to us so that I see me in your program. I can see that. And then let that make me glad. That's what he said. We sing that song. He has made me glad. He has filled my heart with, is it joy or praise? And this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because it's in there. Something in my heart like a stream running free makes me feel so happy and happy and happy 
When I think of Jesus and what he's done for me, something in my heart like a stream running free, and I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. I doubt it you are. You've learned the song, but you don't know the content. You can't sing that without a little smile on your face. You can't. Try it. Just put a frown on your face and say, I'm so glad that Jesus set me. Try it. <laughs> Something in my heart like a stream running. Just try it. Don't try it here. Go home, get in your car, get alone, go out in the garage, put your head under the pillow and try it. You can't do it. Because there's something spiritual in nature behind it. Something that prompts you to get out of those old natural doldrums that people naturally get into and explain away as a natural course of life and get yourself out of the natural life into a spiritual life and be led by the Spirit and begin to rejoice. Rejoice evermore. For it's a church night. No, it's the will of God. If it's the will of God, isn't that what you're going to be inspired to do? Listen to me. Wouldn't that kind of inspiration lift you up a little bit? And if you kept hearing it like that and you kept experiencing it like that and seeking it like that, wouldn't it build you up? You become a spiritual man. You become a spiritual person. Even as Paul asked the question, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. It meant not everybody was. Some people are. Some people are spiritual, not because they're greater, not because they're better, not because they're more important. They're just ordinary people like us or like me, just ordinary hillbillies from Kentucky that God chooses to put something into us that's got our attention. And when we begin to experience what it's all about and we want more of it, most of us had to leave the churches we were in because we couldn't do that there. I couldn't where I was. If I'd have kept raising my hands on Sunday morning, they would have asked me to leave because the things were changing. People didn't want that stuff in the church. They didn't like that. This was a Christian church. It's not one of them storefront churches. And, you know, they just wanted to harness anything spiritual and go back to that deadness. A word that affected nobody, just a dead letter. Look at what we've got here in verse 5. He that speaketh in a tongue edifies himself. The tongues are the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's that manifestation of the Spirit to you that you're willing to cooperate with and speak. And as you're doing this, you're believing, you're trusting God for the result, and he's building you up. And you realize later on in your life that, that you're, kind of, <laughs> you're kind of strange. <laughs> wow, praise God. And before you know it, somebody say, how are you doing? Say, I'm, 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 excuse me, uh, I'm doing fine. I remember when a lady in our church, one night she got filled with the Spirit. A good Methodist girl, she got filled with the Spirit. She labored and labored and finally got it, and then she couldn't stop. Her husband drove around town for, what, two or three hours until she quit because his mother had come to visit with him. And he couldn't take her home talking like that because she was just, she was just as happy and just, just grinning. And he, she finally came back to this world. 
And he took her home, and her mother, how you doing? Good to see you. And, of course, she said, what's wrong with her? It's new wine. She's drunk. <laughs> She's been nipping at that heavenly bottle. Drunk in the spirit. That's what they thought on the day of Pentecost, didn't it? They'd never seen anybody act like that. Never saw them, those disciples of Jesus this bold, walking out into the street. They let it go. 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 got convicted by the Holy Spirit on 12 men just letting the Spirit have his way vocally through them. So he said he edifies himself. Now turn to Jude 20 because you speak of edifying. Here's another thing he said. Edifying. Yep, edifying. Jude 20, the last verse in in chapter 1 of Jude. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building up yourselves, there's that word again, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Doing what? Praying in the Spirit. Now, we have to stop there and ask this question, what what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, we just read it. He that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh, he said. Or that other verse in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. So when I'm praying in the spirit, I'm praying in a tongue. Now, the commentaries don't help you here because the, the modern-day outpouring happened way after those men wrote their commentaries. They tried. They did their best with what light they had. But I have found they they don't add a lot of light to this unless by writing one of them wrote something down he didn't quite understand, but it might explain something. But he said in verse 20, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. I've had people ask me the question, well, what good is it to pray in tongues? You don't even know what you're saying. Well, as I said a while ago, well, I'm, actually, I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to God. How do you know you're talking to God? How do you know you're not being inspired of the devil? Because I'm believing what God said in his word is true. That if when I pray in a tongue, my spirit is praying. I'm praying to God. I'm not in the church to be interpreted. It's not a gift like that, but this is a personal prayer language. Like Paul said, I pray this way all the time. I have to believe that when I'm praying in tongues, when I'm praying in the Spirit, I have to believe that these are the words that God has given me. I am willing to speak those words whether I feel anything or not. I don't know that you go around every day inspired all the time to speak in tongues as much as you know that it's a thing you should do. You can be inspired. God bless you if you are all the time. Sometimes I pray in tongues. I see an accident down the road. What's wrong? I don't know. Do you know what's wrong? No. Was somebody hurt? How would we know? Is somebody in dire straits died? I don't know. Can we do anything about it? Of course we can. We're Christians. We pray in the spirit. We, we communicate with God. And as he said, we always pray according to God's will. You don't pray amiss, in other words. Do you believe that, though? See, now listen, 
If you don't believe that, you won't do it. If your faith can't embrace that as what God said, you won't do it. Because again, your mind will say, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't register. Now, wait a minute. He said, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. In doing this, I not only edify myself, but I build myself up on my most holy faith. Holy, yeah, absolutely essential. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe. I want to be able to do that. I want James chapter 1. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives, but let him ask in faith without doubting. But he that asks and doesn't believe he's going to get it begins to doubt. He won't get it. That man will not receive anything from God. Boy, that puts faith in a pretty heavy light. Man, what a, what a need that is. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is. Do you believe he is? Well, I'm asking you that question tonight. Do you believe that God is? Is he here? How do you know? You can't see him. You can't hear him speak. You hear me speaking. Is he here? How do you even know he's here? Jesus said, where two or more gathered together, he would be in the midst of them. Is he here? How do you know he is? You don't know from knowledge, of physical knowledge. The only thing you can do is believe it. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? How do you know? You got to believe it. We can't even relate to God any other way. And when he talks about praying in the spirit and building up ourselves, I've got to believe that when I'm speaking this, as they call it, gibberish. When I'm doing that, and sometimes my mind says, well, that's a funny, I never heard that syllable before. <laughs> Where'd you get that? My mind says that. I'd say, I don't know where it came from. I didn't look for where it came from. I'm just saying whatever comes to my mind, whatever pops in my mind, I'm speaking as unto God because I believe that this is what he wants me to say. Somebody's benefiting from my prayer. One night in Tip City, Ohio, this was 100 years ago, Stayed in a guy's house. Their bed was way too short. It was kind of a cold night, and I stayed with him and got in bed about 3 o'clock in the morning. My eyes popped open. was wide awake. I mean, just boom. And this, not a voice, but strong impression in my heart said, pray in the Spirit. But who? Not any of your business who. You pray in the Spirit. So I laid down, got my pillow right, started praying in the spirit. And again, on your knees, because you'll go to sleep if you stay the way you are. And I remember getting one knee out, get them both down there, you know. So I started praying. I don't know, I prayed for a half hour. And it seemed like there was a connection with God. What was I praying for? I don't know to this day. But somebody... Somebody has something good happen to them. God uses us to benefit us. But only if we're willing to respond to what God said and believe that this is one of the ways he does things. If we don't believe that, we're not believing much of anything. We're just not believing much of anything. 
But he said in Jude 20, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. How could I be strong in the Lord and the power of his might if I'm not built up? I can quote the verse, I can talk about it, and then wonder why I'm not very strong. Maybe it's because you're letting slide something that God gave you years ago. Praying in the Spirit. I don't know anybody else that does. That's a good reason not to. Not. Praying in the Spirit is praying in the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So you build up yourselves on what you believe in. How you believe in. You relate to God by faith. Romans chapter 8, would you turn to that? Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, the word infirmities there is a New Testament word for sickness and illness. But it does not mean the Spirit has come to help us in our sickness to be more sick. Infirmity also means our weakness, our lack of strength, lack of ability. It shows a need that we cannot meet because there's something in us that doesn't quite have enough of what it takes to meet that need. So he said, likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Huh. Now, there are many different translations of this, and again, the commentaries have many different ideas of what this means. But we are humanly unable to always know what we should pray for or how we should pray for somebody's situation. I'm sure there have been people that have asked for prayer here, and I remember many times standing here and thinking, well, I don't even know who that is. How do I know what their problem is? How do I know they're not under a curse? How do I know that this is not judgment from God? I don't know. God knows. Sometimes we just pray in the Spirit for things. But in this case, he said, the Spirit helps our weaknesses, some of those situations. He said, with groanings. Now, a groaning, would you put your finger here and turn to John 11, verse 33? Remember when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and the people were weeping and crying? And he said, oh, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Remember 11, 33? What did Jesus do there? He groaned where? In his spirit. He groaned in his spirit. Let me ask you something. Was the groaning some kind of communication? Doesn't say it was. Doesn't say it wasn't. Some people say the word groaning here is like an angry, the snorting of a horse. It was, (laughs) that there was this irritation of the work that the devil was doing around there. I don't know. They might be right. But I know it says that Jesus groaned in his spirit. I know once or twice he sighed in his spirit that there was something here that God needs to pick me up and lift me up in doing this. How many you know that in the days of his flesh, Jesus was a man? That there was an occasion where God had to send angels to strengthen him because he was in the human flesh like you and I are. He was tempted in all points like we are. He was vulnerable. He was just secure. That's all. But he says that Jesus groaned in his spirit. Now, back to Romans 8, go back to that. 
He said, the spirit of God helps us in our weakness. Somebody just got a phone call. Somebody had an accident. Somebody's in dire straits. Something happened in some country, an earthquake, uh, a terrible thing happened, or this or that's going on, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody is having a problem, or there's a crisis going on, and you don't know how to pray. So I think here he says, this intercession that takes place here is a spiritual thing. And he said, our weakness and our inability to communicate with God exactly in English gives way to what the Spirit gives us, and he makes intercession for us. Does your Bible say he makes intercession for us? Listen, we are never without the ability to intercede for anybody, any situation, never. Because the Bible said the Spirit of God will help us do that. We are intercessors. Did you know that? If we don't pray, who will? If we can't pray, who can? If we don't exercise ourselves in the light that we have, who will? I mean, for 30 years, he's been teaching us here. If we don't believe something that we've been hearing, then nothing's ever going to happen, ever. Something has got to transpire. Spirit of God urges and does this to us. Nobody says, well, what are we going to do about that? Let's just pray in the spirit. And you just get alone or you're in a group. And you gather around and you pray in the spirit. It's not a time of interpretation. It's a time of communication corporately with the Lord in the spirit. We believe in God for answers. We don't know what to do, but God does. This is a New Testament thing that we can do. I am so glad tonight that I can do this. That no matter what the situation is, God has given me something. Even in warfare. Go to Ephesians 6. Even in warfare, our last one. We're told that in the 18th verse of the last chapter of Ephesians, as a part of our warfare, verse 18 is praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. My responsibility to you, our responsibility to each other is prayer. Praying for one another. Didn't you say that in James? Pray one for another that you might be healed. We don't always know how to pray, but we can. I don't know how to pray for some of these young bucks or these preachers. I don't know how to pray, but God does. All I've got to be is willing to let him use me to communicate on their behalf. I just stand between them like an intercessor. Lord, I pray for Keaton here I'm in the name of Jesus, and I start praying in the spirit. He's going to be so glad I did that. One day when he realizes that something happened. We do that a lot, don't we? Not very often. And look what we're missing. Every day that goes by, we let one more day of opportunity pass us by, and we just leave each other alone. And the devil's fighting hard as he can every day. Our children, our society, and the foolishness of our government and we're just sitting by and all we can do. I'll tell, tell you one thing. We don't do a thing about it. But you could cast all your care over on the Lord. And you could just pray the name of Jesus. And then let the spirit of God begin to flow. 
Bible describes this as a rest. In fact, the Old Testament said, and it's prophesied in the New Testament, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. A ceasing from my struggles and my labors and, and my efforts and my yelling, just ceasing and letting the Spirit of God bring forth exactly, precisely the will of God before the throne of God. Why would God do it that way? Because he wants to. One thing I can tell you tonight as we close, it's the way that we're being proven. It's being useful to the Lord or not. Remember that? Second Timothy 2. Purging ourselves. I said, if a man will purge himself from these things, he shall be, among other things, he shall be a vessel useful to the Lord that God can use. Use how? To pray. I solicit your prayers for me. If you pray in the spirit, I want your prayers. Pray for me that God will enlighten me, show me, inspire me, quicken me, get me out of bed. Whatever I need, just pray that for me. You want me to pray for you? Friends, we have been given by the Lord not only a unique experience, which is challenged by the devil and, and good honest religious people who think we're kind of crazy anyway, but he's given us something for our good, for our benefit, that we can rise above our circumstances, not be conquered, but can overcome. And I believe in order to overcome, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Close your eyes and bow your heads with me then. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to bless us with light and understanding. Make it clear and obvious to us what you're saying. Help us to rise from our sleep and redeem the time and to stand in the gap for others. Not standing there wondering what to say, but just letting the Spirit say it for us. Using our vocal cords by our wills. I pray, Lord, that you'll find us useful like that so you can use us. And that things really can turn around and change. I ask you to do that. Especially, Lord, especially here in this church. I pray, Lord, you'd give us a spiritual visitation. A renewing a reactivating to come to life again, to revive so that things are forever changed in this late hour in time. Help us to be like that and to do that and to live in that, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody have a need tonight? I would say how many of you are spirit-filled, but I don't want you to hold your hands up. But if you are, I want to challenge you. This day, this week, the day isn't over yet, the rest of the week. Every day, challenge yourself. Pray in the spirit. Amen.